Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kristen Anderson, and thanks again for joining me today. This has been a pretty quiet week comparatively so far for this team. They had Sunday, Monday off, obviously, to recover a little bit and regroup after a crazy, crazy week for this team. They hit the ice on Tuesday and Wednesday for practices, and yes, there was music. And I can't believe I'm reporting the music selections of the Calgary Flames at their practices, but here we are. Johnny Goudreau made the selections this week or or on earlier this week. He picked Sixpence on the Richer, Kiss Me. There was little Kenny Chesney and there was some Whitney Houston and Kygo. So pretty cool way to keep things light again at practice this week. Uh, More interestingly though, I think the line combinations really had a lot of people talking. There was lots of combinations that we haven't seen before and it could be a result of Jeff Ward's conversations with the team that he's had over the last few days and conversations he's had with the other coaches and just kind of where they feel that they're at. So I'm curious to see how they pan out in Thursday's game. Who knows when puck drops, maybe they go back to normal or go back to the way that they were before, but I'm curious to see the differences and the changes, of course, that Jeff Ward implements in his third game as interim head coach of the Flames. My guest today is Joe DiBiase. He's the host of the Locked On NHL show and Locked On Sabres, both on our Locked On podcast network. We have quite an interesting chat about Ralph Kruger. He's the most interesting man in hockey, and he's quite similar to Jeff Ward in a lot of ways, just the way that he communicates and the way that he empowers players and his philosophies and his leadership style. He's kind of a new school coach in a lot of ways. A lot of people said that he was ahead of his time when he was coaching the Oilers back in the day. Jeff Ward really is ahead of his time as well, too, just the way that he leads his players. And I think you'll see a lot of similarities between the two. We also talk a little bit about Jack Eichel's progression in the NHL. And we give a rundown on the Buffalo Sabres and where they're at so far this season. And we get into a little bit of Taylor Hall gossip. All of that's coming right up. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let me tell you a little bit about DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. So coaching is obviously a huge talking point right now in the NHL. Many are questioning the way things have been done in the past, the need for change, or even just examining the coaching styles of the past and evaluating how effective they are. So Ralph Kruger, he's been dubbed by many as the most interesting man in hockey. He's fascinating. Can you give a little insight on how he's affected change on the Buffalo Sabres? Yeah, sure. I think that maybe the first thing that sticks out with Ralph is kind of his communication and his relationship with his players. Um, I, I think there's a an obvious difference in just on-ice style and deployment of players when you compare him to the Sabres' last coach, Phil Housley. But I think the thing that Kruger attributes their early success here mostly to is the fact that he he gets talked about a lot as being like a player's coach and he always is talking about the communication between him and his players um like I mean, even like the first uh 
first example that you can look at is the Devils were in here uh, a couple nights ago, and the Sabres blew them out. And in post game, they are asking Taylor Hall about Kruger because, of course, Kruger coached him in Edmonton, and he was just like lording over him, like for it was like a two minute, three minute answer, which I think you know you know that if you get a two three minute answer out of a hockey player in a locker room, you generally did a pretty good. You you hit a you hit the right note with him. Um, and just how much he loved being under Kruger and that if he ever was a coach one day, he'd want to be like him. And I think that he's kind of been so far, seemingly, the um, like the new school players coach. Like he's not going to berate the players. He'll be harsh with them, and he has to. But for the most part, he is there to – he's there to get the most out of the players, not – to basically do the not not to berate them, not to um, be overly critical, and I think that especially with a lot of the the coaching stuff that you know in Calgary that's gone on, and Mike Babcock, some of the stories that come out on him, I think Kruger just kind of comes off as being uh, the complete opposite of uh, some of those guys that have recently lost their jobs. Well, you mentioned it. Calgary's obviously going through a coaching change and shift. It became official less than a week after they played the Sabers on Wednesday, and Ralph Kruger has coached in eighteen World Championships, Olympic tournaments with the Swiss national team, the NHL. He's really had to adapt and reinvent himself. He wrote a book on leadership and he's advised top corporations on leadership. This guy has an incredible thirst for knowledge. And I always heard that he was a little bit ahead of his time, which is sort of what they're saying about Jeff Ward in Calgary. Can you expand a little bit more on his philosophies on leadership and coaching? Yeah, like it's funny. He wrote a book on leadership and you can't even get it in English. We asked him about it. It's only available in German. And this guy is like... He his resume is so interesting in that like he ran a, a Premier League soccer team and did a pretty good job at it actually um, knowing a little bit about soccer and then he's on the World Economic Forum and he's coaching all these World Championships and he coached Team Europe at the uh, at the World Cup of Hockey just like a team of European misfits that ended up making it to the final in that tournament and he's got so many interesting things on his resume he comes off as just a smart guy you even listen to him talk and he just breathes intelligence and like you can just see why he gets so many opportunities like he's gotten and I think that that intelligence and the way he has been as a leader and the way he believes that you should be as a leader is kind of you you are just there to you're almost in a way you're just almost like an organizer you're not necessarily trying to make all these players I think this is maybe the biggest point and this happened a lot with uh, some previous coaches, Phil Housley, and to a greater extent here in Buffalo, Dan Bilesma beforehand, where you had coaches that like, all right, we're playing this style of hockey. This is how we're playing. You're in, your players mold to the coach essentially. And I think Ralph Kruger is just a complete 180. He looks up and down his roster. He sees what he's got. He's talked about this before with the fact that Sabres right now have a lot of right shot defensemen as opposed to left. So he's talked about how, hey, a lot of our zone exits now, we're going to go up the right side. We're going to do it this way. He's going to change things based on what his lineup is, what his players' strengths are. And basically he's going to mold his system and how they play around how the team is structured. Like I feel like if the Sabres' best player was a goaltender, for instance, which it's not right now, but if it was... I would imagine they'd play like a lockdown style of hockey. If they had a bunch of offensive talent and they just were flying up and down the ice, kind of like how Toronto's roster is built, then I feel like he would be adaptable to that. And then he would just play fast, up, fast pace up and down, uh, up and down the ice play. And that's kind of how he comes off to me. He 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 seems to take a lot of what the players give him. He's very 
accepting of new ideas, it seems, and that he is willing to adapt um, based on what his roster is. And I think that's really, um, to me, I think that's that's a really good quality that you should want in a coach nowadays. Well, and that's just the thing. If you're a player, you've got to love that approach as opposed to, well, I don't really know where I stand with this guy or some of the mind games that coaches played in the past, it, like the intimidation, all of the psychological aspects. And maybe that motivates a handful of people and maybe certain players crave that style or need it to keep pushing but for a lot of them they're smarter now and Jeff Ward's really been talking about it the last couple of days it's all about empowerment and creating a collective atmosphere it's about hearing what the players want how they want to play a collective approach to leadership and it sounds quite similar to Ralph Kruger's mindset uh, yeah that's exactly it. and it's funny you said the phrase empowering the players because I feel like that is a phrase that Ralph Kruger has used in every single interview press conference whatever all season like that's a very popular phrase of his um, and I do think that's kind of significant or that that symbolizes um, what he is all about as a coach. And I mentioned that Taylor Hall comment about, or the, the, the quotes he made about Kruger a couple of days ago. And of course, Sabre fans are all in a tizzy now because he's in trade rumors and all Sabre fans want right now is Taylor Hall. And it's like, Oh, Ralph Kruger could uh, help them get him. And like, in a way that's kind of, you know, fan talk, but in another way, I think that can also matter. If you are a coach that is gaining respect from your players because you operate that way, then even like in, in a, in a, in a, it makes a GM's job easier. I would think, think because if players on other teams have once played under your coach and they just have the utmost respect for him well at the very least that could maybe nudge him in your direction if you're trying to convince a player to come to your team and I, I don't know like I I guess it doesn't have to have to be a deterrent because as we've seen some of the stories about Mike Babcock for instance um I could see why a lot of players would never have wanted to play for him if some of these stories are true. Like the Mitch Marner story still blows my mind. Um, the, that when he was a rookie, but you know they still were able to sign John Tavares, the biggest free agent that we've seen in the last ten years. So it doesn't have to be a deterrent, but I think it could help uh, even a team's uh, strategy to try to get players to come there if they have a coach uh, like Ralph Kruger or like Jeff Ward's talking like he wants to be. So Taylor Hall to Buffalo, are you calling it? <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to happen. I would like to imagine that Jason Bottrell, the Sabres GM, would be in those conversations if there's a player of that magnitude available. And given that he didn't do a whole lot in the offseason, and that was kind of fans' biggest criticism and even my biggest criticism of him, is that there just wasn't enough action. When there's a player of that magnitude that's out there, you should be all over that, especially when they have the amount of defensemen that they have, um, which is still ridiculous. They have like 10 or 11 NHL defensemen in the organization. So I would want them to be in on that. I would imagine there's a team out there, though, that's going to be willing to pay more because at this point, Jason Bottrell hasn't been – he hasn't been – known to be big 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 fish hunt like big uh big game hunting um he's traded big players away but he hasn't really given up a lot for one player yet so i'm not sure he will do it yeah and then there's the taylor hall the calgary connection which makes absolutely no sense the guy was only born here and spent a few years of his life here but that being said the flames are so tight against the cap and bratcher living basically was the same way as buffalo he didn't do much this offseason because his hands were tied and also because this team underwent so many changes last year so they needed a bit of normalcy to start the season true living is probably in on the conversations in terms of what it would take to get a player like that but i doubt there's much likelihood realistically of this happening 
I do wonder, though, like what Tall Hall's motivation is. Like, if Calgary was interested in that, I think New Jersey's going to have to move on from him because my guess would be, and this is only a guess, of course, um, would be that Taylor Hall is looking to just win. And, of course, the money and the, the, the location will come along with that. But this guy has won more NHL lotteries than he has playoff games. In fact, I'm not sure he has won a playoff game in his career. He's only made it the one time with the Devils. So... The, the amount of losing this guy has gone through in Edmonton and New Jersey for the most part, I would have to think that he's going to want to go to a team he thinks he can win with. And even though I don't think Calgary's doing a whole, they isn't doing great this season and Buffalo's not doing great either. They're doing okay. Who's got more recent pedigree um, in terms of making the playoffs and being successful? Like I think Calgary wouldn't do too bad in that department because that's actually a worry that I think the Sabres should have is if they're trying to get a guy like Taylor Hall who might only be worried about, hey, can I contend here? You've got a team that's finished last place like five of the last seven years, so that could be a tough sell. The other thing, if you look at the contenders at this time last year, it was the Calgary Flames and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we all know how that turned out. So maybe if you're Taylor Hall and want to go to a contender, you just wait and see what your options are closer to the trade deadline. Maybe you want to wait and see who it is or who's legitimately going on a cup run this season. It could all change in the next two months, and it's a totally different landscape, I think, comparatively from this year to last year because of that. Yeah, I completely agree. And it would be different if the Sabres, like, for instance, had kept going because they were they were in first place again in the NHL about a month into the season, um, but they've kind of slid back. The thing that's going on in the league right now, though, that might make it hard for Hall if he wants to get that, if he wants to get that, if he wants to go to a team that he thinks he can win a Stanley Cup at this year, that might be tough because I think there are 16 teams in the league that have under $1 million in cap space. So, you, it would be hard for the Devils to make a trade sending him to a team like that if there isn't cap coming back in. I wonder about the Islanders a little bit because they're one of the few teams that I think could take his cap um, without having to move anything back. But I don't know, inner, like rivalry, like the, the Islanders are right down the street from the Devils. Would they want to trade him in division? I'm not sure uh, what factors would play into that. But it'll be hard to make a trade just because there's so little cap uh, space around the league. And I know, I know Calgary, for instance, we actually. I know um, one of the uh, it's, the names escaping me right now, but one of the athletic writers wrote about Johnny Goudreau about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, and we had a, a quick conversation about that on on the Locked On Sabers podcast. And even just looking at that, it's like, hey, if this were to happen, it would probably be crazy if it did. How would it happen? And you're just looking at it, it's like they have just no cap space, and the Sabers same thing. They have exactly zero dollars in cap space, so. The Devils, it could be the same thing. They have to be like an even trade going back and forth. Well, yeah, and with the Taylor Hall situation, you also wonder, is there a scenario where he'll want to reunite with Jordan Eberle and the New York Islanders? There are so many teams up against the cap space that would have to do some maneuvering and really juggle their roster to make a deal like this work. Cap Friendly as a Wednesday night has 10 teams, including the Flames and the Sabres, that have under hundred grand to work with. So it's a super interesting landscape right now. And this coaching change in Calgary really threw a wrinkle in an already tumultuous season for them but let's get into the game the flames host the sabers on thursday night and in a weird scheduling quirk i've seen this a couple of times this year they face each other just over a week after they faced each other the first time so elias lindholm scored in overtime to secure a 3-2 win over the sabers last wednesday they're 13 10 and 5 right now and 4 4 and 2 in their last 10 what have you made of this team so far this year the sabers they have been 
right about as good as I thought that they would probably be. They There, there wasn't going to be too much improvement to me, or uh, there wasn't really a lot of room to go down, but they just didn't make a lot of significant changes in the offseason. They did make some nice moves that I liked, bringing in some puck-moving defensemen, which they have not had really in 10 years. They haven't had more than one or two good puck-moving defensemen. Now, they could build a whole blue line of it when they brought in Colin Miller for not much. That was a good move. The Henry Oki Haru, a former first-round pick from the Blackhawks, has stepped in as a rookie, and he's, to me, been one of their best defensemen. You've, of course, got Rasmus Dahlin. Um, there's a lot of guys here that kind of are that new new school, new age defenseman. And Brandon Montour as well. They brought him in the last trade deadline. But the blue line has kind of been what's driving the bus for me this year is when those guys are playing the big minutes, when those guys are being put in big situations, the Sabres are playing well. When they kind of have those cross-check in front of the net, go hard into the corners, defensive type of defensemen like Jake McCabe, Rasmus Ristolainen, who's been part of trade rumors now for like eight months and he's still here, uh, Marco Scandella, those guys have been playing a lot. And now with Zach Bogosian back in the lineup, too, that's just another guy. They have probably 10, to me, 11 NHL-caliber defensemen in their organization. And it's just like it's just overkill. Like Jason Bacho, the Sabres GM, has talked plenty about how he likes having this much defensive depth, but you don't need this much defensive depth when you have good young defensemen playing in Rochester in your AHL affiliate right now that are like four or five injuries away from ever having ever getting a chance to crack the lineup. So there, there's a trade here that needs to be made that has not been made yet. I think the GM does know it, but it just hasn't it hasn't come to fruition just yet. So the, the forward group's been, I think, about as good as they have been last year uh, for the most part. Jeff Skinner's seen a small regression in his numbers. He's probably going to end up with around 30 goals, though. And really, to me, this, this team is going to be a fringe playoff team. That's about where I thought that they would be. The one thing I didn't really see um, too much this year is Jack Eichel's just explosion. Like I think we all knew he had this type of play, this type of uh, potential, where he could be well over a point a game right now, which is at 38 and 28. And hey, maybe if these two Edmonton guys with Drysdale McDavid weren't just exploding on the offensive score sheet, he could be in the MVP conversation. Um, and even if they make the playoffs, maybe he would be. But... Eichel's been just tremendous this year, and I think that he's maybe the biggest reason that they are in a playoff spot because they've kind of mismanaged uh, their blue line to this point. Jack Eichel is so interesting to me, and I always find so many similarities between Buffalo and Calgary in terms of their young stars. Calgary went through it a little bit with Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan in terms of them finding their way the second and third years in the league. So it's been interesting to watch the evolution of Jack Eichel. What have you made of his next step that he's been able to take in his career. I, I just think he's fully understood that just nobody can take him off the puck. Like when you watch him play, he he is to me next to McDavid and Crosby, I think he is like top three in the NHL. Just you cannot get the puck off of this guy. And that makes him a dangerous weapon. We saw a little bit of this in the Calgary game uh, in three on three overtime. He's to me maybe the best three on three overtime player in the league. So he's yeah, he's kind of figured out what he can do. I think that he's shooting the puck more this year and that's equivalent that's becoming uh he's becoming more of a goal scorer he's still a great playmaker but I think the first couple of years he thought that he was just going to be a big assist guy and that he could just kind of get by being a playmaking center and I think he's understood now that hey like he might be the best passer on the team but he also might be the best scorer on the team and he's up to 17 goals already on the year I think that's a big indicator that uh and you just look at his shot totals he's already over 100 shots on the season that this guy is starting to shoot the puck more and 
I think he's just become a more all-around player. Like like I said, he used to just kind of be, like his first couple of years, and you know, you're know, you an 18, 19-year-old player in the league. You, you get a break trying to figure out what you're trying to be. But he's come along both as a scorer, um, a decision-maker in the offensive end, just puck possession. Like He's one of the better puck possession players in the league. But he's also come a really long way in the defensive zone, in, in his defensive game. He's penalty killing now, and I think that really needed to happen because when Ryan O'Reilly went out the door last year in that just terrible trade to St. Louis, they were really missing a shutdown centerman, and they're very thin on the blue line. So what's been most impressive to me about Eichel maybe is that not only has he been their best offensive player, but they needed a shutdown center, and you would think, hey, let's find another guy you could just plug in and do that, and Eichel's just kind of stepped up and bended himself. So he has been, to me an MVP caliber of player. I wouldn't give him the MVP if the season ended today because I think one of those Edmonton guys with the stats they're putting up in the season they're having should probably deserve it, but I think he should at least be uh, in the conversation as if he keeps playing like this. He is Joe DiBiase and hosts Locked on Sabres. Where can people find you on social media and online? Yeah, thanks thanks for having me on, Kristen. You can follow me on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. I do the Locked on NHL podcast uh, with Tom Gazzola from uh, Locked on Oilers on Fridays. Also, on Tuesdays with Mike DiStefano from uh, Locked On Leafs, and then you can uh, check out my podcast at Locked On Sabres. In just a minute, there were lots of changes at practice this week in terms of the line combinations. I will discuss them all and get into our favorite topic on this podcast. How much is too much for David Riddick? All of that coming right up along with a preview of Thursday's game against the Sabres and a few news and notes for you to set you up for Thursday's game at the weekend. All right, right off the hop, there's a bit of news. Austin Zarnick was sent to the AHL Stockton Heat on a conditioning stint. The Flames forward has not played a game since October 24th when he sustained a lower body injury. Meanwhile, former Flame and good guy Matt Stajan officially announced his retirement from the NHL on Tuesday. He spent parts of nine seasons with the team after playing 1,003 games with the Flames and the Maple Leafs. All right, diving into those line combinations that we saw earlier this week at practice, we saw Matthew Kachuk on the left side with Elias Lindholm at center and Andrew Mangiapane on the right-hand side. Sean Monaghan was on the left side with Michael Backlund and Dylan Dubé. Milan Lucic was skating with Derek Ryan and Johnny Goudreau. And then there was Tobias Reeder, Mark Jankowski, and Michael Froelich. That was the fourth line. So interesting combinations. We saw, obviously, Elias Lindholm practice a little bit at center, which Jeff Ward really wants to see, and a lot of people really want to see how Elias Lindholm has been doing or or can play at center and really what he's about. I think that that was something that we talked about earlier this season. We saw a little bit of it. Uh, in flashes, Elias Lindholm played at center, but an extended look is something that we've all been sort of talking about and we we should see. Sean Monaghan on the left-hand side was super interesting, I thought. Um, I mean, he has dabbled in a bit of, of wing before, so that'll be an interesting combination with him and Michael Backlund and Dylan Dubé. And then Milan Lucic, Derek Ryan, and Johnny Goudreau. Johnny Goudreau was on the right-hand side, also kind of interesting and then Tobias Reeder, Mark Jankowski and Michael Froelich were the fourth line that's a little bit more we've seen that a little bit more I should say so some of interesting line combinations Austin Zarnick and Zach Ronaldo were the extra forwards Travis Hamanick is back at practice he is was skating with Noah Hannafin Mark Giordano and TJ Brody were together while Oliver Shillington and Rasmus Anderson were skating on the third pairing Michael Stone was the extra 
So it was interesting what Jeff Ward has to, had to say after practice. He wants to see some things before he uses them in a game. He wants to have an idea of who can play with who. So that's a smart way of approaching it. And I think that in general, he was really, he wanted to see a little bit more of Elias Lindholm at center. So um, he said that Tuesday and Wednesday really gave them a chance to look at a few things. So I don't know if we'll see it when the puck drops on Thursday against the Buffalo Sabres, but you never know. It looks like David Riddick is going to get his seventh straight start for the Flames. And in his previous six starts, he's gone 3-2-1. and one. He's 12-7-4 this season with a 2.68 goals against average and a .915 save percentage. And he's played 1,388 minutes already this season. At this point, he's played only slightly more than Toronto's Frederick Anderson, and that is a problem in my mind. I think that you're already seeing a bit of him not being as sharp. There was a few moments during Saturday's game. Yes, he did get the win, but there was a few moments during that game where I felt like he just, something was just off a little bit in terms of his reaction time. And then, of course, he plays the puck way too often, and it just, you kind of see some a little, just a little like mental mistakes when it comes to playing the puck there. So I think that there's going to have to be a really serious look at his schedule or the upcoming schedule and his place in it before the Calgary Flames can decide what they are going to do with David Riddick. I think that he's playing too many games right now. Obviously that was based on certain circumstances with the way that the schedule worked, but also the Flames really felt like they needed to play him just in terms of to get wins, in terms of confidence. But I think that, you know, this break between games, between Saturday and Thursday really gave him a nice long break. Perhaps they'll go with Cam Talbot in the net tomorrow against Buffalo, but I would assume that Cam Talbot would play on Saturday against the LA Kings. Perhaps there'll be a little bit more of a rotating scenario where they'll go David Riddick, Cam Talbot, David Riddick. You have to look at the schedule that's upcoming. This is the start of a stretch of six games in 10 nights for the team. They'll play Buffalo on Thursday and the Kings on Saturday, along with back-to-back games at Colorado and Arizona next week. And they'll host the Maple Leafs in Carolina next week as well. So there's a lot of games coming up. And I would, you know, I'd be okay with them doing a flame, uh, David Riddick, Cam Talbot split night after night and see how that goes for a while the Flames certainly need to get confidence playing in front of Cam Talbot and now that they have some stability when it comes to their head coach Jeff Ward and they seem to be playing better I think that that would be the smartest thing to do moving forward the Flames are 13 12 and 4 and are 7 3 and 2 at home in the last 10 games they're 3 5 and 2 and have wins in their last two games that's it for me today. Join me again on Thursday when I recap what happened against the Buffalo Sabres, preview the weekend ahead, and provide you some news, notes, and insights. Thank you so much for joining me.